Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Sunday, March 27th, 2021. News portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. This past Tuesday, to the surprise of absolutely no one, Disney announced that it would be changing the theatrical release plans for Cruella and Black Widow. Initially, Black Widow was supposed to be released to theaters on May 7th of this year, after being pushed literally a full year to this point. And then Cruella was supposed to come into arrive in theaters some three weeks after that on May 28th. And as of Tuesday, that has changed, right? Yes, Cruella will still be out on May 28th, and it'll be in theaters and on Disney Plus with the $30 premium access fee, okay. the premier premier access. So, you know, you have an option there. And yeah, I think that's a good I think that's a good idea. Well, I guess what's confusing me when we we look at Black Widow though is that it's opening domestically on July 9th, and they're doing the in theaters and premium access $30 thing. But there's also the mention that it's going to be in theaters internationally in May in a couple of territories. Oh, really? Well, that's that says I was reading the press releases. I, mean, I, I was hoping you'd have more insight on that or if there'd been any clarification. No, well, I mean, I. I've heard from from the kind of exhibitor side of things that this was a real blow because they were really starting to ramp up because there were so many big movies coming out. And so by both pushing back Black Widow and also giving Cruella the out of Mm -hmm. being able to watch it at home, they feel Mm -hmm. like it is just sort of like it's kicking the ball down the field a little Mm -hmm. bit longer, which, again, I completely understand We've seen what's going on in Florida with the Miami maskless, you know, spring break parties and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. sort of shuttered stop and start vaccines getting out. So I I think it's smart to kind of wait and see. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I also completely understand the exhibitors being frustrated by this. Absolutely. But on the heels of success of Mandalorian, WandaVision and now Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not that any of us can stand around water coolers because nobody's in an office right now. But these are water cooler shows. The moment they drop, people are talking about them. And if you talk with folks at Disney, they talk about how the world is changing in real time right in front of us. The notion that you can have a hugely successful pop culture event without doing the end game thing, without being out in theaters. Which brings us to Luca. Right. This is the second time this has happened with Disney Plus, right? When Soul yes. debuted Christmas Day, they didn't do the Milan, they didn't do the Premium Access, they just put this out there. So, yes. Did this one surprise you at all? Uh, it did a little bit. I mean, yeah, people people have been asking me a lot about why this is free on Disney Plus, and mm-hmm. I think there are a few reasons. One, mm-hmm. it, it's sort of being tied to a quote unquote holiday in the same way that Soul was Christmas. This is the quote unquote celebration of the start of summer. Really, and obviously okay. it's set in summer, and yeah, mm-hmm. that that's the way they phrase it in the official release. Okay, and two, I do think that that you're right. It's a way of dominating the conversation. It's a mm-hmm. way of having 
something that everybody can weigh into. And we've mm-hmm. seen this so many times. You're right. Not only on the Marvel stuff, but like last weekend, everybody was talking about the Snyder cut and mm-hmm. all of that. And I feel like it's a very easy, efficient way mm-hmm. to do that. And I also think that they are consciously trying to blend the the Pixar and Disney Plus brands in a mm-hmm. way that feels organic to consumers because Yes, Raya was on Disney Plus, but it was a premium access movie. Mm-hmm. And we've had so much content, mm-hmm. Pixar content on Disney Plus, which we'll talk about a little bit later on the show, too. Mm-hmm. But there's just so much stuff Pixar related on the platform. And I feel like this is just another way to carry that home. And as you know, there's a huge licensing uh, and yeah. publishing component to this, too, right? Thank you for bringing that up, because talking with folks on the the Disney parks and experience and product side, when they talked about Soul, it was a harder film to sell to a lot of Disney's licensing partners, largely because the lead character was a middle-aged black man. There's actually a phrase they use in the industry, toyetic. Whereas Luca... Which is something Pete Docter is used to, right? Like, every time he goes out for a movie, they... (laughs) They go, what the hell is it? It's an old man and a young Asian boy going on an adventure. Okay, you know. But it's so interesting you say that because with Up, think about how much Doug stuff was out there or how much Kevin and Doug merch coupled with you could always at least do the house with the balloons on a T-shirt, that sort of thing. It it managed to sell fairly well on the back of that stuff. I heard pretty much the same thing in regard to Inside Out. You know, to the effect of, well, no, you have the five characters that are lovely primary colors or the emotions. So even if you're dealing with Riley and her parents in their somewhat grim apartment, you know, it's still, look at those wonderful characters or Bing Bong for that matter. Right, right. Whereas Soul, I mean, there was Soul Cat, all right? You could at least get the stuffed Soul Cat. (laughs) The most shapeless piece of plush on the planet. Soul was difficult. I mean, don't get me wrong. As a, a late middle-aged white man, I went for the Soul Hawaiian shirt. It's lovely uh, with all of its its jazz logos and that sort of thing. And, you know, I have a copy of the Art of Book here somewhere. But merch-wise, it really didn't lend itself where Luca, the two little boys, and the very thing you were talking about, it's summer. And they're in and out of the water and they're sea monsters. So it's like between towels and t-shirts and swimsuit, you know, and that sort of thing. They they could do a lot of stuff, but at the same time, if you talk with the folks at Parks Experiences and Products, they got hosed by the exact same thing everybody else who's in retail right now. I mean, all of the container ships. In fact, wouldn't it be ironic if, you know, why yes, you know, all of the Luca material is headed to the United States. It just has to travel through the Suez Canal. <laughs> Speeding right to A little bit of a backup down there. <laughs> you talk with these folks and they they point out that in a weird sort of way, this is Disney history repeating itself. You know, back in 54, it was a television show, Davy Crockett, that sold a ridiculous amount of merch, all of those coonskin caps. And fall of 2019, how people were, how desperate people were to get things with the child on them. Remember how people were excited that socks, I got socks. I think that was right. the first product to hit. But at the same time, this is Disney trying to figure out still, it's like, okay, Winter Soldier, what do we do here? Because it's it's not like High School Musical back in 2006. It's like, okay, I can't 
sell the album of Falcon right. of the Winter Soldier. Or what, Zombies more recently. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, In fact, aren't they about to begin shooting Zombies 3? Or Yes, <laughs> so. yes they are. All right. Well, we were just talking about the child merch. I was at our local Disney store on Friday, and they have their giant Raya section. But they also have two sections of the child Mandalorian merch. They have the first wave of stuff that was, you know, when the show hit in fall of of 2019. And all the stuff that got rushed to market. And now here comes the stuff from season two, which is much more focused, which is not as generic. It's really drilled down into the show. And what was fascinating is that stuff was full price where Disney was actually remaindering the first wave of the child stuff. Like, okay, nobody wants the giant oversized child head pillow. Okay, get that out of here at 30% off. Is your Disney store going to stick around? Yeah, well, (laughs) but for a very interesting reason. It's an outlet store in addition to being a Disney store. Oh, cool. Yeah, the, my my childhood Disney store at the North Star Mall in San Antonio is closing, and I am oh, I'm gutted, Jim. So I'm glad oh, yours is still still going to be there. I'm sorry to hear that. But what's what's weird is when I was in there just this past Friday, it's full of Disneyland merch from 2020. In fact, what was so funny is there was this rack of stuff that the park had made to capitalize on the gay day that didn't happen in 2020. So I would have had my choice of rainbow striped castles. Okay. <laughs> we were just talking about Pixar and you were talking about the, the wave of Pixar stuff that's on Disney plus. Let's talk about the latest wave of inside Pixar mini documentaries. that just dropped on Friday. Did you get the chance to watch those at all or? No, I haven't watched them yet. I am intrigued. There's a little, this one's a little bit different format. Right? Yes. Do you want to talk yes. about that? Yeah. Well, first set of five dropped in November 2020. They went out under the heading of Inspired, and they were pretty straightforward. Let's take you behind the scenes. Let's show you how individuals who worked at the company, how they developed ideas for it. February of this past year, they did another set of them called Portraits, which again, same thing, fairly straightforward documentaries with the individuals telling their story. And now we get this new group of them called Foundations, where they're pretty ambitious. They do things like, for example, explain how they use a virtual camera, or for that matter, how they light these things, or character design. They're all really interesting topics, but this version, for the first time in this series of mini-documentaries, they're narrated. Uh, in fact, that they're narrated by Cristela Alonso, who was the voice of Cruz Ramirez and from Cars Three. And there's no polite way of saying this: that the narration that's been written for these things, they have Cristela telling a lot of dad jokes, lots and lots and lots of dad jokes. <laughs> you must have felt right at home. Even I have my limits for dad jokes. It's clearly servicing the modern Disney agenda. I mean, for example, when they were talking about how you animate a character in a Pixar film, they said, well, you know, it's really more, uh, you know, it's not like 
drawing the seven doors and then they show a, you know, an image from Walt Disney seven doors. They say it's really more like puppeteering. Like, do you see the puppets in 20th century Fox's sound of music? And suddenly you get a clip from the sound of music. So it's like, okay, so, you know, we're, we're trying to mix in all of the other things that are on Disney plus that, Hey, maybe you could go check out. It just feels like the first set of them, somebody decided at Disney plus, these are really too much for adults. And we should make these things more kid-friendly. Interesting. I'm not entirely sure it works. Okay. Well, I, will, I will watch before the next the next one. Okay. Just, yeah. just want to clarify here. Love Ms. Alonzo. I, I still feel Disney made a big mistake. Uh, they canceled Christella, her, her sitcom, back in March of 2015. And then they doubled down. And the very next year, same thing. They canceled The Muppets after just one season, too. I still think that... If Muppet Studios had gotten its way and the Muppet sitcom had been had gone on Netflix rather than on ABC, it would still be running. But speaking of Pixar news, talk to me about uh, Ronnie Del Carmen. What do you, let's talk about Netflix. He's he's yes. over there now. Yeah, it sounds like he's going to do you know his own features and and help out on other features and maybe even television shows. I mean, it seems like it was a really big deal that they signed and it's a big deal for them to have Ronnie Del Carmen. Mm -hmm. You know, he, you, you know how much of a legend he is. This is a guy who worked on Nemo, Up, Coco, Toy Story 4, let alone the co-director of Inside Out. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was a story artist on Batman Mask of the Phantasm, you know, and sometimes I'll be going through something and his name will pop up and it'll be just like, how many things did this guy really work on you know i mean it's it's really amazing the the amount of stuff that he has done and Mm. this is a big big loss for pixar i think no absolutely and more to the point a big big get for for netflix yes and speaking of losses we lost jessica walters earlier this week i I know i was actually embarrassed to find out as i was reading the various obits and the trades and that sort of thing that Jessica had been the voice of Fran Sinclair in Jim Henson's Dinosaurs. Yep. Um, I don't know why I didn't put that together. I mean, I love her work in Archer as, as Mallory Archer, the title character's mom. Martini swilling head of a spy agency with clear control issues with her son. It was a beautiful character, wonderfully written. And the surprise in the latter season to find out that how much she actually cared about her son just kills me that we lost her. But upside is the folks at uh, Archer wanted people to know that work in the 12th season had been completed. Jessica had had done the full run of shows on, on Mallory. You know, so we still have those shows coming. That's supposed to debut on FX and FX on Hulu sometime later this year. And speaking of stuff on Hulu, just this past Friday, uh, season two of Solar Opposites dropped. Given all the upsetting news <laughs> this week, I think I'm, once you and I finished recording, I'm going to go sit down and watch. There's eight brand new episodes of this. Yes, I've, wa- I've watched about half of them already. I, and? Um, it, they're great. I think that it's a lot of fun. And it's it's just a nice little holdover until we get more uh, Rick and Morty. Morty. Yeah. There we go. There yeah. we go. All right, so we have to talk about WonderCon at Home, which in a different age, uh, this would have been a three-day-long event at the Anaheim Convention Center. But this time around, we got a two-day-long virtual thingy. Did you follow any of the stuff that came out of the show? Or No, I had no idea this was even going on, Jim. I was okay. blissfully unaware. 
Okay, well, no, you had your priorities right. You were out walking Nova the Wonder Dog. That's a good thing to do. Yes. Just a couple of quick highlights. Uh, It was fun to see new images from Justice League World War II. This is not the Snyder Cut, but a new direct-to-video release from Warner Brothers Animation and DC Entertainment. By the way, the will be the 41st film in the DC Universe animated original film line. Wow. Available to purchase on April 27th. Also... We've talked about Marvel's Mordok, you know, the stop motion show that's coming yes. from Stupid Buddies. Very, very much looking forward to this show. Pat Oswald, the voice of Mordok, uh, was writing her on the panel from WonderCon. And they broke some big news that this show will feature uh, Tony Stark Iron Man. But, you know, obviously Robert Downey Jr. has stepped away from the role. So they have landed John Hamm of Mad Men fame to do Tony Stark. And that's kind of an inspired choice, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I did see that news and I I smiled very big because I think that is a great, great yeah. choice. He's yeah. somebody who's, who's continually underutilized. And so, yeah, just having any, more John Hamm out there is always a good thing. I think. Always a good thing. Yeah. Um, not necessarily a good thing is the news about, have you heard about this Comic-Con special edition? Oh, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Obviously, we're still dealing with COVID, and the folks at Comic-Con International decided, in an abundance of caution, to not only cancel WonderCon, which, again, Anaheim Convention Center, typically in March, but also Comic-Con, the the really for real one that's held at the San Diego Convention Center, canceling that for July. But what they decided to do instead was still hold some sort of a Comic-Con, which, again, Comic-Con Special Edition, but... It's the dates that are bothering both Drew and I, because it, it's November 26th through the 28th. That's the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. I tweeted this yesterday, and I said, imagine telling the family members that you haven't seen for 18 months mm-hmm. that you can't come to dinner because you've got to go see what's going on on the next season of The Witcher. <laughs> How well is that going to go over, Jim? Well, you know, forgive me for for burying the needle in the other direction, but, you know, having made the drive and and in July, just that stop and go all the way back up to L.A., that four and five (laughs) hour drive, I just picturing that with Thanksgiving holiday traffic with everyone who spent you know, whether they're visiting family in Mexico or, or, you know, they're down around San Diego visiting with family and they're also driving back up to L.A. along with the Comic-Con crew. I mean, it's just sort of like this will be gridlock you can see from space. Yeah, it's so stupid. And I just can't I can't imagine any scenario where this actually happens. But, you know, we'll see. I also don't get who's going to go. How do you convince A-list talent to do, you know, oh, by the way, you know, step away from the first Thanksgiving, you know, you've been able to have in two years and and go down and promote your series on FX. You know, it's just yes. sort of like, this isn't happening. No, it's it's bad. And it, it's good. You're right. It's going to make it impossible. Even if you want to do the strategic hit of you show up on Saturday morning, you come back on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. E- any way you slice it, it's going to be hell to oh. get there and back. And never mind the fact that it's traveling over the Thanksgiving weekend. So you're going to be paying a premium for a hotel room. You're going to be paying a premium for a plane ticket. The rental car, same thing. Also, retail. the retailers are going to be pissed because 
That's Black Friday. Oh, they would geez. rather have people in stores than mm. sitting in the convention center. It, it's a big screw up. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> well, maybe we're wrong. We, we'll just have to see what happens there. But but speaking of go, go, what happened to you next is going to be a commercial break. And after that, Drew and I will take a close look at one of Walt Disney Animation Studios' lesser features and how that came together. A few weeks back, Drew and I were talking about artist illustrator William Joyce's next project, Lost Ollie. A uh, four-episode live-action animated thing that, what a surprise, at Netflix about a lost toy and the boy who goes looking for them, which kind of tickled me because it's like, if you think about how William Joyce's career in animation started back in the 1990s, he did some of the earliest design work on Toy Story, didn't he? Yes, he did. I wish I had. I brought my art of Toy Story. I was about to say. I remember you you drove it out from Connecticut on your epic journey across the country. And yes, I was um, so excited to find it. But yeah, his designs are amazing. His mm -hmm. designs and Joe Johnson's designs are two that really stuck out. They were very retro and Mm -hmm. very cool. Back when Toy Story had Lunar Larry, you could tell. That, you know, the earliest iteration had sort of filtered through that William Joyce sensibility. Likewise, just how kind of goony Andy was. He was definitely a William Joyce little boy. Yes. Yeah. If you look at that test footage where Woody is a dick and he mm-hmm. throws Buzz behind. Yep. When when Buzz is the little character. Yep. That is the total. That is totally the William Joyce. No, uh, no. That That's it. it absolutely. And. What's interesting, he also did some work on A Bug's Life. And okay. if you look at Slim, you know, the, the character that David Hyde Pierce voiced for that sort of William Joyce vibe. But then he goes on, he leaves Pixar, he goes over to Blue Sky Studios, works with Chris Wedge on Santa Calls, uh, which is based on his 1993 book. Spent a couple of years trying to get that to work. It didn't pan out. So he ends up working on an animated feature about robots, which, by the way, winds up being called Robots. In that weird window of time between when he worked at Pixar and then went over to Blue Sky, isn't that when he developed Roly Poly Oli for CBC and the Disney Channel? Or, or excuse me, Disney Junior? Yes, Roly Poly Oli. He's short, he's soft, he's round. Jim, I believe those were the words. And that, I think that's that's a good way to describe myself as well. So, you know. But but with a manly beard, a very impressive yeah. manly beard. Um, oh, by the way, uh, while we're talking about Roly Poly Oli, just this past November, Joyce broke the news that there were all new episodes of Roly Poly Oli in the works now for Disney+. Plus. I don't know how that got that got bias. I only found that no. out while I was doing the research for uh, for today's show. Anyway, after Robots, Wedge and Joyce then begin work on a follow up, which is going to be based on William's 1996 book, The Leafmen and the Good Brave Bugs. It was it three weeks ago, four weeks ago? You told the story about that. Uh, epic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Drew had this fascinating story about. The weird window of time where what was it Blue Sky or Fox that lost faith in the movie? I think it was Fox, and then yeah. So then Chris Wedge took Leafman to Pixar and began developing it over there. I mean, he had an office; mm. it, it was all set up. And mm. then um, Fox blinked and said, "Maybe we shouldn't let mm-hmm. the guy that created the Ice Age franchise mm-hmm. go to Pixar." So mm-hmm. they brought him back. It was released as Epic, which is not. 
a terribly good movie, but you can see it now on Disney Plus. Um, yeah, yeah, and so, that's yeah. that's May of 2013 when that finally hits theaters. But what's amazing is just six months earlier is when DreamWorks Animation's uh, Rise of the Guardians hits theaters, and that's based on Joyce's series books, uh, The Guardians of Childhood. Now, I just want to stop here for a sec, Drew, and, and think about it. Can you think of any other author who's done this? I mean, had films based on his characters at this many different animation studios? I mean, Pixar, Blue Sky, DreamWorks, Disney. No, I can't. And, you know, you bring up Guardian, Guardians, the uh, Rise of the Guardians, and Peter Ramsey, who directed that, yes. is directing Lost Ollie. So, yeah. Oh, God, that's right. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He, he right. obviously directed a little movie called Into the Spider-Verse. In <laughs> tiny, between. tiny little film. You may have a Tiny little thing. movie, yeah. Barely worth yeah. noticing. Yeah. So all of this, we mentioned all of this is basically prelude to our main feature for today, folks. This show will drop online on Tuesday, March 30th, which happens to be the 14th anniversary of... Disney's Meet the Robinsons uh, being released to theaters. Uh, you know, that Steven Anderson film was then based on uh, William Joyce's 1990 book, A Day with uh, Wilbur Robinson. And let's start off in an honest place, Drew, and talk about how Meet the Robinsons it sucks. has... sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to yeah. go that far. It has okay. a couple of appealing characters. It has some uh, a few interesting set pieces. And it ends... Really, really well. I will forgive a multiple of cinematic sins if it ends well. And I, I every time Meet the Robinsons is on television, you know, that last 15, 20 minutes of it, I cry. I mean, it's it's it really does deliver the goods. Up until that point, though, it's all over the place. And let's be honest here, one of the reasons that Meet the Robinsons is a mess is that in January of 2006, Disney buys Pixar for $7.4 billion, and John Lasseter is put in charge of both Pixar Animation Studios and Disney. It's What was his title? Chief Creative Officer, right? Yeah. Well, not only that, he, yeah, he was like running, wasn't he also advising on Imagineering and all sorts of stuff? Everything, yeah. And he was hugging every branch of the company, Jim, <laughs> you could say. <laughs> Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, Jim, but you could say. I, you Thank you. Good, good. Push that back on me. Lovely. Thank you. So supposedly, Meet the Robinsons is the very first work in progress film that Lasser encounters when he comes through the door at Disney. And New York Times tells a story. It's March of 2006. It's a year from when the movie's supposed to be out in theaters. And John watches an early cut of Meet the Robinson and really doesn't like a lot of what he sees. All right, so here's, here's the pertinent quotes from the, the Times story. Lasseter felt that the lanky villain in the Robinsons, uh, that's Boulderhead guy, was neither threatening enough or scary. After the screening, John and his colleagues from Pixar and Disney met with Meet the Robinsons director Steven Anderson and told him so for six hours. So what do you think? This is the first time the Pixar Story Trust is really brought to bear at Disney, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. But well, was Bolt before this or after this? Bolt was after it. Because uh, remember, that's American okay. Dog. And at this point, 
Chris Sanders is, is working on that. Chris Sanders, that, that's right, that's right. That's before he gets pushed over that. But 10 months later, and again, this would have been January of 2007, just two months before Meet the Robinsons was supposed to be released to theaters. So that's cutting it really close. But finally, you know, Lasseter's back in the screening room. Uh, he's watching the new version that Meet the Robinson that Anderson has assembled, which is, it's 60% of the original film has been cut. Times goes on to say a diabolical sidekick had been added, a thrill, and in one thrilling scene, Lewis, the central character of the film, is chased around by an oversized dinosaur. And then later, when asked about the film's ending, you know, this is kind of a, a disrespectful description of, of John Lasseter. But it's just sort of, it says, Lasseter's rubbery smile turns upside down and he pretends to cry. You know, that that's the audience is going to be sobbing, says John, dragging his index fingers down his cheek. It's really going to get to them. So... If you talk to industry vets, they suggest there's another reason that Lasseter and company may have put Steven Anderson through the ringer. If we go back now to January of 2004, uh, very same day that Walt Disney Feature Animation reveals that they have a, a movie in the works uh, that will be based on this William Joyce book, David Stanton, the gentleman that Michael Eisner had put in charge of Disney Feature Animation the previous year. Eisner had given Stanton very specific marching orders about uh, how he needed the lower costs and he needed to switch Disney over to an all-CG operation. So the day they announced that, that Disney is making a movie based on a day with Wilbur Robinson is also the day they announced that they're closing feature animation Florida. And that's the thing about guys who work in animation. I know people who are still nursing grudges about how they worked on scenes for Fox and the Hound, specifically the scene where Chief died <laughs> because he got hit with the train and the studio chickened out and let Chief live throughout the rest of the movie. And they're still mad about that. You know, if he got hit in the face with the train, how the hell can he still be alive? So these people, you know, obviously, if you shut down an entire studio and take away the job, they never forgive you. So... Just the belief is that maybe there was a, an additional motive for being a little harder on you know the folks who were working on Meet the Robinson, because those were the guys. This it was this film and this these guys who basically killed hand drawn animation at Disney. And kind of ironic, of course, that Lasseter said he'd bring back hand drawn, but after two tries with Princess and the Frog and Winnie the Pooh. Disney goes straight CG and never looks back. A couple other uh, interesting little side tidbits about Meet the Robinsons. And by the way, this information comes from Nick Ranieri's Facebook page. Master Disney animator, what, Lumiere and Beauty and the Beast and Hades and Hercules. And he shared some interesting stories about voice casting on Meet the Robinsons that originally Lewis's dad... Cornelius, uh, that's the adult version of, of Wilbur, was voiced by Michael Gross, the dad from Family Ties. But if you remember the movie Meet the Robinsons, is a running gag that supposedly Lewis's dad looks like that actor from television, Tom Selleck. And when they went to Selleck's uh, people to get permission to use his image so they could tell this gag in the movie... Selleck's people basically said they, they couldn't do it unless they used Selleck's voice for the character. And it, 
kind of frustrated the production team because evidently Michael Gross did, did an amazing job and it was brought a lot of warmth to the role, but it's just sort of like we Suter really wanted Tom Selleck, you know, for this joke. So uh, Mike is out and Tom is in. Also for Star Wars fans, Mark Hamill came in, uh, was voicing Grandpa Bud, but that was only for a few weeks and then the track sheet recorder would drop. And then Steven Anderson uh, came in as the new voice of Grandpa Bud. By the way, uh, Anderson also voices Boulder Hat Guy. And did you see that he he's also he's writing a book about the like in between years at Disney? Did you see yes, that? Yes, yes. It's like from I, from Walt. Yeah, from, from the time Walt died to the Eisner years, right? Yeah, I think it's sixty six to eighty six. Yeah, cannot wait for this book. By the way, none of the stories today sharing. Out of disrespect to Mr. Anderson, if anything, the fact that he delivered as good a movie as he did under these conditions and with multiple management changes and people with all sorts of agendas, it's a real tribute to Stephen. And speaking of a tribute to Stephen, the very fact that this next story where at one point the publicity department at Disney supposedly came to him and said, hey, you know the character of adult Franny that Nicole Sullivan is doing the voice for the film? How would you feel about changing her out for Kelly Ripa? And strictly, the only reason publicity wanted this to happen wasn't that they thought Kelly Ripa would be a particularly good fit for the role. They just liked the idea that Kelly Ripa would be on live with Regis and Kelly every morning talking about how she was the voice of adult Franny in Meet the Robinsons with the hope that it would then compel all of the people who watched this syndicated morning show to go out and see the movie and Stephen, to his credit dug in his heels and it's like no nicole sullivan is wonderful in this role and they eventually back down and finally one little frustrating story coming by way of nick ranieri nick was actually working on a meet the robinson short that was supposed to be tacked on to the blu-ray and dvd release of the Stephen anderson movie and in fact I sent you a link to it. Did you get a chance to take a look at yes. it? Yes. Yeah, I, I had seen it before because you had tipped me off to what a what a treasure trove Nick oh. Ranieri's Facebook is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a lot of fun to watch that again. Yeah. yeah it, so this is this short was to be called Pet Project, and the idea was that it had Boulder Hat Guy explaining how he got a full size dinosaur in his teeny tiny flying time machine back to attack Wilbur Robinson. And so it's a bunch of zany gags that sort of key off of that. And because evidently John Lasseter hated the bowler hat guy, and honestly wasn't all that big a fan of, of Meet the Robinsons, this was a tough sell from day one. So Nick was actually forced to board two versions of this movie. And it was only after he finished the second one that Ed Catmull, who was at that time the president of Walt Disney Animation, told Nick that the studio wouldn't be greenlighting this short because it was going to be on the Blu-ray and the DVD. It was supposed to be an extra incentive to get people to, you know, if you saw it in theaters, but the only way you can see this short is if you buy the Blu-ray. He said, you know, these things don't pay for themselves. They, you know, we don't sell enough units to warrant making them, so we won't be making Pet Project. And But what made Nick crazy was that the Meet the Robinsons Blu-ray and DVD came out October 23rd, 2007. Just two weeks later, the Blu-ray DVD of Pixar's Ratatouille comes out. 
And that has not one made strictly for the Blu-ray DVD short. It has two. So, again, it was one of those moments where the folks at Disney sort of woke up to the fact that, okay, there's maybe two sets of rules here in regard to what Disney animation can do and Pixar animation can do. What is the line from Animal Farm? All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. So <laughs> that's a look back at, at Meet the Robinsons, which, again, has a wonderful last 20 minutes, folks. Also, I uh, want to point out that, you know, not all podcasts are equal either. Uh, and if you want some truly superior entertainment, you need to go check out the trio of shows that Mr. Taylor, my partner here, rides her on. And that's Light the Fuse, Light the Wick, and Light the Fuselage. And you've got a really extra special show going on this week, right? The one that just aired was a, a editor's roundtable with uh, the three editors on John Wick Chapter 3, which is incredibly informative. Mm-hmm. And if you want to hear uh, all that, two of them also worked on Ghost Protocol. Uh, one of them is Gina Hirsch, who's Paul Hirsch's daughter, who is a lovely, lovely person. Really? Oh, yeah. I had yeah. no idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's really fun. And then we, we've got some good shows coming out. We haven't locked everybody down yet, but we're, mm-hmm. we're still working hard for, uh, for everybody. So check it okay. out. Okay. Did, did like they the really talk about the three-hour-long cut of John Wick 3? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you thought the Snyder Cut was long. I mean, apparently it was just a lot of, like, Keanu walking from place <laughs> to place for, um, okay. you know, okay. however long. But, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to learn about what could have been. Atlas turned me on to those films like a year or so ago, and they are violent as hell, but hugely fun and wonderfully stylistic. So. Yeah. If you have your vaccine, Jim, you should go watch Nobody in theaters. It's a lot of fun. I, Bob Odenkirk. I'm embarrassed to say I was over just this weekend at the movie spoiler reading the, the breakdown of that and really action hero. Yes. Yes. It worked. Yes, it works. Why do you go to these these sites, Jim? You're killing me with this. You're killing me. I have to know. I I am, you know. Did you already ruin Godzilla and Kong versus Kong already, too? I know that a certain. I don't don't know much more beyond that, but. Okay, we'll keep it that way. Okay. All right. I'll be good. I'll be good. Okay. Okay. And once you finish listening to Light the Fuse, Light the Wick, and Light the Fuselage, uh, we have some shows over here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We've got Disney Dish with Lentesta, Marvelous Disney, uh, which I do with Aaron Adams. We are recording a brand new Universal Joint with uh, Dustin Fuse. If you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review Fine Tuning, that would be a good thing, too. If you go on Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back with a brand new show next week.